All right, as they receive the offering, why don't you guys go ahead and pull out your Bibles. We are going to go all the way to the back, all the way to the back of your Bible. Revelation 21 and 22 is where we're going to be this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible, you're going to want one. You're going to want a Bible. Uh, we're not going to have all the scriptures up here on the screens or anything like that. Uh, we want you to do the work of finding it and flipping through it and circling it and working through this text uh, together this morning. So uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's a blue one underneath the seat you're sitting in. You can reach down there and pull it out. In the Blue Bible, it's on page uh, 1143, 1143 in the Blue Bibles. 1143, Revelation 21 and 22 is where we're going to just kind of chip away at and work through a, a bulk of those two chapters this morning together. Uh, here's where we've been, just, just so we're clear. This is our last week in this series on heaven. This is our, this is our last week. We're not going to uh, talk on this anymore, uh, at least not in this season. We might come back to it in the future because it's important. Um, but here's where we've been. We talked about the importance of having a clear view and a clear picture of heaven. It matters now. It changes the way that we think and act right now in this life, in our everyday, when we have a right and healthy view of heaven, when we walk through life with a healthy view of heaven, it changes the way that we think and act now. And then the next week, Binger talked talked about this idea that there's a present heaven. In In this life right now, if you have friends or family members who have died and they are in Christ, they've submitted their life to his rule and reign, they've clung to the cross as their only hope for salvation, right? When, they, when their eyes close in death, they open to Christ. Glory, wonder, splendor, the beauty of Christ, right? Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today, today you will be with me in paradise. But that place is a temporary place. It's not a, it's not a purgatory. It's a, it's a beautiful, wonderful, splendorous, just paradise, it's goodness. But it's not, it's not permanent, it's temporary. There, there's a permanent home, and that's what we talked about last week. Last week, if you are here, we wrestled through two questions, right? When Christ returns, when the King of Kings returns, where are we going, and who will rule there? Who will reign there? Right? So for those of you who weren't here, we talked about this idea that we're not going to get kind of snatched up or caught up into this uh, kind of taken away to this kind of spiritual realm, right, where there's angels and clouds and harps, right? We're not going to be taken away to this kind of celestial weird place, okay? Um, There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Like, it's going to be very familiar to us. It's going to be something that we can that we can understand a new sky, new moon, new stars, new earth. And God is going to dwell here. He's coming here to dwell with us. The earth will be renewed. And who's going to rule there? We are. The saints will rule and reign in this new earth. We unpacked all of that last week. If you were not here and you're like scratching your head, they're like, wait, what? You can go online. You can watch that online at flourishinggrace.org slash listen. You'll find a link to it uh, there. You can listen to that. But this morning we're going to move on and we're going to ask two more questions. What is that place going to be like? What is that place going to be like? And how do we get there? Like, how do, I, how do I know, how do I make sure that that's, that's where I'm going, right? What's it going to be like, and how are we going to get there? And we're going to do that primarily through Revelation 21 and 22. And so the first question, what is it going to be like? Let's go. Let's dive into that. Let's unpack that together. Revelation 21, verse 1, verse 1. John writes this, Then I saw, I saw a new heaven and a new 
earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, we unpacked that a lot last week, so we won't spend a lot of time there. But here's what I want you to understand about this idea. What John sees is understandable. Okay, a lot of people say, no one can know what heaven's going to be like. It's, it's, an, it's unimaginable. It's like nothing you've ever seen. That's not 100% true. It is unimaginably good. It is, it is in a way like nothing you've ever seen, but it is absolutely familiar all at the same time. John knows what he's looking at. New heaven, new earth. And when he says new heaven, he's not talking about a, kind of a, a spiritual realm where God exists. He's talking about just the sky. And when you read Greek literature, not just in the Bible, but in any Greek literature, you, they use, you got to be careful because this word heaven is used interchangeably. It could just mean like the clouds. Look up at the heavens. You see that cloud? It looks like a dog. The heavens, right? It could be like, look up in the heavens. You see the stars and the planets. Like, look at that. Like, there's, there's this heaven. And then there's heaven, this place where God resides, that where he is more present than he's present here, right? God is present everywhere, but there's a place where he's more present, right? When Paul talks about, Paul said, tells his story, he says, I once knew a man who was caught up to the third level of heaven. Like, what does that mean? It's simple. And in, in his Greek language, it was just simple. Heaven, clouds, atmosphere, second level of heaven, stars, moon, planet, third level, the place where God lives, right? There's not, there's not three levels, it's just that's just, those are the three, that was just common, common knowledge, just common language. His audience would have known instantly what he meant by that. And so the heaven that John is referring to here, new heaven, new earth, he's just talking about, man, planets and moons and stars and clouds. There's, it's, it's all new. And so what he sees is something that he can identify. He's seen this before, but it's different. It's renewed. It's new beauty, new, new wonder, and just, just new splendor, right? When the iPhone 10 came out, right, you looked at it, and you're like, wait a second, whoa, whoa, whoa. I recognize this. The clock looks the same. The, the date looks the same. Like the little thing that tells me how much battery is left looks the same. But there's no button. Like, where's the button? Like, what do you do? How do you do this? And it took me like a month to like get used to that, to figure out how this thing works. It looks similar, but it's, it's new. It's, it's, it's different, but yet it's the same. He can identify what it is. And we're going to see that as we go through this. John can identify many things in this new place. Look at verse 2. And I saw the holy city. If you, if you like to underline or circle, we're going to focus in on some things this morning. You can circle holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. So John sees a city. Now, last week I said that that idea, prepared for uh, a bride, prepared for her husband. I said, who's the husband? It's us. I was actually wrong. It's not true. Now, it is for us. We will rule and reign there. And that's where I was going with that. But if you actually read on Later in 22, it says, let me show you the husband, right? And it's Jesus, okay? So read your Bible, Josh. Gosh, idiot. But at least I got a chance to correct that. Here's what I want you to see. This guy, holy city. It's a city. It's not this, it's not this unimaginable place. We know what a city is. How many of you guys have been to a city? Some of you aren't raising your hand. That's weird. What's in the city? What's there? What do you see there? Buildings. There's physical structures. 
There's buildings and architecture, right? There's, 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 there's windows and doors, and we know what that's like. What else? What else is in a city? Streets, people. People, there's a, there's a hustle and a bustle. In any city you go to, there's kind of this just kind of electric, just people. And, there's, and they're all different kinds of people, right? When you go into small towns, like everybody kind of looks the same. But when you go to a city, everybody looks different. Just kind of this wondrous place of hustle and bustle and hurriedness, right? Which brings culture. There's culture in the city. There's, there's art and there's beauty, right? There's, there's all kinds of different things. There's, there's, there's music and dance and plays. There's all kinds of going on. There's good food in cities. I know that we live in Bountiful and some of you guys don't know that, but there's good food in cities. <laughs> Judging by your laughter, you do know that. There's restaurants and entertainment. But unlike our cities, I'm from Chicago. That's where I lived for 10 years before I moved to Bountiful. Unlike our cities, there's no violence there. There's no crime. There's no poverty. There's no, there's no rat race, right? And any, anybody who's ever lived in a major city, if you've ever lived in Manhattan or Chicago or London or uh, even L.A., the city sucks life from you. Eventually, it wears everyone out. Eventually, it just kind of grinds and it grinds and it grinds and, and you become hardened and embittered to certain things. You've seen so many homeless people that you've just come, become hardened to that. You've seen so much crime that you are just well aware. You just kind of naturally do things in order to protect your stuff and your home. You, you do things without even thinking about it, right? You become hardened to it and it's an exhausting place. Everybody's trying to work. You just got to get a little ahead. You got to get ahead. You got to hustle in order to get it done in the city. This city, though, it's not a life-sucking city. It's a life-giving city. There's just beauty and wonder and splendor, and we're going to see that here in a minute. But it's something that we can understand. We know what a city is like, but this city has all the joy of the city and none of the pain. Look at verse 22. And I saw no temple, if you want to circle that, no temple, in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So John knows Jerusalem. He's, he's spent a lot of time there. He, he knows. He says, I see the city. It's a new Jerusalem. It's this, it's this new city of God. But what's Jerusalem famous for? What is it known for? The temple. It's not your question. It's right there. It's in the, it's in the passage. Um, it's known for its temple, right? The place where God would dwell with his people. Once a year, the, the, whole, the high priest goes into the, the most holy of holies, and God would ascend and would speak. But the temple exists ultimately to, to separate God from his people so that God might come to his people, but, but they cannot draw fully near to them because of their unrighteousness, because of their brokenness, because of their sinfulness. They cannot stand in the presence of an almighty God. But in this city, there's no temple. God himself is the temple. The implications of those two words, no temple, are actually massive. They're massive. Think about it. Every one of us in this room has some level of secrecy in our life. There's sin from our past that we've kind of buried away. We're just like, dude, I just don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. And every once in a while, that tape just kind of replays in your mind. There's shame there. There's embarrassment there. There's sorrow there. There's pain there. Not in this city. We are fully exposed before God, and yet we can draw near to him because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. 
There is no sin. There is no shame. Only righteousness remains. The implications of those two little words, no temple, are massive, massive. Imagine, imagine feeling zero shame, zero anxiety, zero stress, knowing that you are just pure, that you can stand before an almighty, holy God, pure because of the work of Christ. It's all gone, and only the righteousness of Christ remains. Verse 23, just keep on going. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Now, this is interesting because John says, I see a new heaven and a new earth. He says, I see a new heaven. I see the sky. There's presumably stars, presumably planets, like presumably lights in the sky, but there's no sun, like our star, our little home star. It doesn't, we don't need that anymore. It doesn't exist there because the glory of God will give light through Christ. There's so much glory. The glory of God is so present in Christ, right? The author of Hebrews says he is the radiance, talking about Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God. It's so radiant. It's so bright. We don't need a sun. It gives light to the whole earth 24 hours a day. So you might say, well, is there, is there night there? Does it ever get dark? No, it doesn't. And John's going to clarify that for us for a second. And so you know how at funerals, people put like trinkets in the casket? Like Grandpa loved baseball, so here's his mitt. And here's a picture of Grandma in case he forgets what she looks like. It's like, that's weird. <laughs> Give me some blackout curtains, Okay. I need a nap. After like a million years, I'm going to need a little daytime nap. So you need to put some blackout curtains in my casket, and I'll be good to go. He goes on, verse 24, he says this. He says, by its light, the nations walk. Let me circle nations. We'll come back to it. And the kings, you can circle kings, of the earth will bring their glory into it, into the city. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no, here it is, night there. It doesn't exist. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. That's 26. So here, there's a number of things there. Let's just flush this out real quick. There will be nations. There will be people groups on this new earth. There will, not everybody will be the same. We're not all going to look the same. We're not all going to have the same color skin. We're not all going to have the same backgrounds. There will be nations, distinct people groups, but no, no racism. Just this beautiful uniqueness created by God. Just this sweet splendor of looking upon the nation and say, look how beautiful this is. Look how wondrous this is. There will be nations, and yet no one will ever be looked down upon because of they're, they're from that nation, or they're from that nation, and so therefore they're not, they're not as good as this nation. No, just beautiful uniqueness, just the sweetness of seeing the fingerprint of God on every, on every living soul in this place. Man, how sweet. How sweet is that? There will be kings. Kings of earth will bring their glory into the city. There will be kings there. Kings will rule and reign over these nations, but not in the way that we think of kings, right? We think of kings as dictators, those who punish and make rules and laws and bind and oppress their people, who rule with fear over their people. Not these kings. That's not how these kings are going to rule and reign. These kings are going to rule with love and affection and kindness, never once ever doing anything for themselves 
always give, giving the best for the people. Saying, man, what is best for my people? That's what I'm going to do. That's what we're going to pursue. That's what we're going to achieve. And the kings who rule there will be the, the least here. The lowest, most righteous here will be kings there, right? In, in Matthew 20, I think it's verse 16, Jesus says, the, the last will be first and the first last. When heaven comes, this new heaven, new earth, when we, when we reign there, kings will set the order, and those kings will be the least of those here. Those who have invested the most wisely in eternity here, who have lived lives of, of humility and meekness, giving what they have so that others might be blessed, the least of us will rule and reign there. There will be kings there. They'll bring their glory into the city. These are not kings who hoard for themselves, but they bring their glory. All glory goes to God alone. Its gates will never be shut by day. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there'll be no night there. So the gates will always be open. Why does a a kingdom, why does a city close its gates during the day? Security. War. 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 You close your gates at night because to keep out animals and thieves and things like that. But you only but you open them during the day for trade and commerce, so people can come and go. Unless unless you're at war, if you're at war, you close your gates during the day. His gates will never be closed during the day. The kings of heaven, the kings of the new earth, will never, will never, ever, ever go to war because they're not seeking their own glory. They're not seeking their own advancement. They're bringing their glory into this city to lay it before God and say, to you be the glory, not us. They're bringing the glory of the nations to him. All right, we're going to skip 27. We'll come back to it in a minute. Let's go to 22, verse 1. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life. There's going to be water there, rivers. Bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for healing the nations. So this city has a main kind of thoroughfare. And right down the middle of it is a river that flows through the city. Like through the city, a river. And, and the river, the river, the water is crystal clear. It's almost invisible. It's like you can see straight through it. Just, just beauty, the river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God. And this street exists kind of on either side of this river. I picture like a place like Venice with like bridges going across it and just people kind of hustling and bustling around. And then on either side of where the streets are is the tree of life. Now some of you might say, wait, how can the tree of life be on both sides of the street. You see, in the Garden of Eden, there was one singular tree of life. And, and there was a, an Adam and Eve were told, don't, don't, don't eat of that. Don't eat of that. But in heaven's new earth, the tree of life is not a single tree. It's a species. It's a species of tree. And it's producing fruit 12 months of the year. So either, on either side, there's these groves of trees producing fruit 12 months of the year. It's a sign, the symbol of abundance. It's just never-ending goodness flowing from the city. And the nations come and the, the leaves of the tree are for their healing. Whatever they've endured kind of spiritually in this life will be healed there. And there's this abundant goodness constantly flowing from the throne of God, this, this 
stream, this river of, of life flowing from the throne, feeding these trees, and the trees feeding the people, just unending goodness, soul-satisfying goodness, completely satisfying. Verse 3, this might be the biggest piece of all of this. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Remember last week, we talked a lot about the curse. What was ultimately cursed? You guys remember? What was ultimately cursed? Nobody. The plan, right? God's plan. God said, here's my plan that I've established for my people, that they would fill the earth, that they would subdue it, that they would have dominion over it. But when we look at the curse, when we look at what he says to the woman, when we look at what he says to the man, right, what we see is that plan is now cursed. You're going to continue to work that plan, but in that plan, you're going to have misery for the rest of your life, right? Ladies, he says, in in pain, like you, you will bear children. There will be pain involved in this. You're going to long for it. You're going to long to fill the earth, but it's going to be painful for you now. He says, and you're going to, you're going to want to kind of have dominion with your husband, to kind of together doing this thing. But no, he's going to, he's going to rule over you. He's going to rule over you. He's, you're, going to, you're going to be at odds with each other, and your husband is always going to be pressing against you. Men are always going to be pressing against, against women. In the, in the new heavens, new earth, men, men and women will exist in kind of this beautiful, perfect, wondrous harmony, just righteously loving each other, just kindness abounding caring for, never ever pressing down on someone because of their gender or, or belittling someone because of, because of their gender, saying, no, 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 man, let's, let's work together. Let's have dominion together. Let's rule together, walking hand in hand for all time, for all eternity. And then for men, right, for men, it was, I mean, you are going to work the ground from the day you were born to the day you die. You will live an unsatisfied life, trying to, f- t- trying to find satisfaction in your work, but you will never actually find it there, and you'll just die unsatisfied. That's the curse. But here, what we see here is nothing will be under this curse. And so men will work in heaven, but it's going to be soul-satisfying work, just delightful, delightful work. You will, you will long to go to work in the morning, and you will miss it when you're gone. It'll be soul-satisfying work. There will be no sin The curse of sin will be lifted from us. No more anger, no more jealousy, no more greed. Think of the implications of this, right? I I don't want us to be confused. I think that sometimes we think that in heaven we're going to become like these perfect beings that do everything perfectly. Like we're going to be like Marvel characters. We're going to fly around. We're going to be able to punch people through walls. It's going to be amazing. That's not what it's going to be like. It's not what it's going to be like. Now, we won't be able to die. There's no death there. There's no illness there. There's no sickness there. But our perfection is not in our abilities to do everything perfectly. Our perfection is in our sin. There's no more sin. And so you will be able to learn a craft. You're not just going to be able to pick up a violin and just like play Mozart. It's not going to work that way. But you'll have a, a million years to learn how to do it. And then a million more to pick up maybe the oboe. And then a million more to pick up, you know, I don't know, flute. Whatever you want to do. Like you can do that there, but it's not going to come easy. We're going to have to work towards things. There's going to be, there will be sport and play. There will be games, but never again will I get in an argument over my, with my wife over a board game. Amen, fellas? 
because there will be no anger. There will be no more kind of this feeling of shame when you lose. But there will be healthy, good competition in sport and work to be done. Verse 4. They, the people there, they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no lamp, light of lamp for, or the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Two things in, this, in these two verses. Number one, they will see his face. We will look on the face of Christ in the fullness of the glory of God, and we will live I don't know what the most amazing thing you've ever seen in your life is, the thing that's given you the most awe and wonder, that thing that you just, like, in the back of your mind, you've got that picture. You're like, that was the most incredible thing. Maybe it's like the North Shore of Kauai or the Grand Teton in a thunderstorm or uh, driving out into the desert into the dark sky of a new moon and just gazing upon the solar system or maybe, maybe a, a gigantic coral reef. I don't know what your thing is, that you've seen that kind of gave you pause. You're like, I've never seen anything like that. Like that is just the most amazing thing that's ever been and it'll ever be. I'll never see anything more beautiful than that. Uh, compared to the face of God, those things will be trinkets, tiny, insignificant things. You, they'll be forgotten in an instant. When you lay hold of the face of Christ, we will see his face just wonder and beauty and awe and splendor, just, just shock. There will never have been, nor will there ever be anything like it. Everything in the new earth, every wonder, like endless exploration, there'll be waterfalls and lakes and just beauty everywhere. Everything will be compared to that. Yet yeah, that's a cool waterfall, but it's nothing compared to the face of Christ. Like that, that was amazing. There'll be nothing like it. Just complete, total awe. And wonder, and they, they will reign forever and ever. We unpacked that last week, but he reiterates it again. It's so perfect. It's so sinless. God does not have to set rules and laws over his people. The people are so sinless that they are freed up to reign what is ultimately his. We will rule over and reign what is ultimately his in a good and right and holy way, a sinless way, never pursuing our own glory, but always giving it to the one who owns all things. Which leads us to the question, who is they? They will see his face. They will reign forever and ever. Who is they? Who, who, is, who is he talking about? Let's go back real quick to chapter 21, verse 27 in Revelation there. We skipped over it a minute ago. Chapter 21, verse 27, reads this way. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Nothing unclean will ever enter into this place. No one who has ever done anything detestable or false has anyone in this room ever done anything that's detestable? You're just like, man, I regret that. I shouldn't have done that. I, man, that was, that was a massive mistake. Anybody? Anybody ever said anything false? Anybody ever make anything up like once or twice in your life? You know, that one time, that, just that one time that you made, they said something that wasn't true? 
the million times. You've said things that just are not true. You've done things. You've hurt people. Nothing unclean will ever enter it. No one who has done anything detestable, no one who has ever, ever said anything false will ever be in this place, which, by the way, is all of us. In the United States, 60% of Americans, 60% of Americans believe, would say, that every person on earth will go to heaven. 60% of Americans believe that every single person on earth will eventually one day go to heaven. 14% would say, I don't know. I'm unsure on that. I don't really, I've never really given that much thought. Leaving only 26% of Americans that would say, no, not everybody is going to make it there. Only 26% will say, not everybody's going to make it there. It means for every 120 people... Who, for every 120 people say, man, yes, I'm for sure going to heaven, there's one that says, no, I'm probably not. For every 120 people who say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to heaven, there's one that says, no, probably not. But the Bible doesn't say that. John doesn't say it in Revelation. And Jesus even takes it a step farther. John, John says, man, nothing detestable will ever enter there. But Jesus takes it a step farther in Matthew 7, 13 through 14. I'll be up here on the screen for you. It says it this way. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter, enter into destruction, by it are, what's the word? Many. Verse 14, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, that leads to heaven, that leads to new earth. And those who find it are what? Phew, everybody wants to go there, right? And in our minds, we begin to believe, we convince ourselves, no, 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 I'm for sure going there. I'm going there, right? But Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Revelation says, I mean, nothing unclean will ever enter there. So Romans says, man, we're all unclean. And Revelation says, nothing unclean will ever enter. By default, you don't get to go, and I don't get to go. Who we are, we cannot go as we are. I cannot go as I am. I would just get annihilated in a second, in an instant, just removed from it. I, you can't go there by default. And so what do we do? What do we do with this information as Americans, as, as followers of Jesus, as people who attend church? What do we do with this information? Lay down our lives before Christ, clean the cross as our only hope, the grace of Christ as our only hope, and submitting our life to his rule and reign and investing every single day into that eternal home? No. We just live make-believe lives. Surely I'll go there. Surely, surely I will. Surely, surely I'm good enough. Like I've done nice things. I've helped people across the street. I've, my neighbors like me. I, I'm pretty sure I'm worthy. Like someday when I get there, right, when I get there, God's going to look at me and he's going to say, yeah, you're, you're, you're pretty well good. You're good enough to come on, come on in, right? He's a loving God. That's what he's going to do. And so we live these make-believe lives, always dreaming of this place, but never actually giving it any real genuine thought on how we might get there. It's like that person, and I know you know this person, the person who's always dreamt of going on to, to a vacation to this place. They've said, man, someday, someday I'm going to see the Eiffel Tower. 
Someday I'm going to see the Colosseum. One of these days I'm actually going to see the Great Wall. Right? Like they've, they've got books on it in their house. They've got pictures of it on the wall. And they've said, man, someday I'm going. But they never actually go. You got anybody in your life like that? Because like, men always talking about this place that they want to see sometime before they die, but they never actually go. They never pack a bag. They never buy a ticket. They never actually do it. That's how the majority of people, the most people, that's how we live our lives. We have books on heaven. We got Bibles in our home. We might even have pictures or trinkets. We got little angel statues up in our house. Like, someday I'm going to see one of those angels. But we've never actually packed a bag. We've never actually got the ticket punched. For those of you who are in the room this morning that have never actually got your ticket, I want to tell you something. It's free. It's a free ticket. Now, that doesn't mean it's cheap. It's not a cheap ticket. It costs the God of all things the life of his son. God had to give up his own life on the cross He had to bleed out for you so that by his blood you might be washed and cleansed and made righteous. That you might be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Our sin and our shame was laid on the Son of God and it was murdered for us. It was nailed to the cross so that we might walk in righteousness. It's not cheap, but it's free. It's a free gift of grace. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't acquire it in any other way than to going to him and clinging to the cross and saying, Jesus, I need you. Cry out to him. It is the only way. And do not put this off, friends. Do not put this off. Martin Luther says, man, man, the person who puts this off for one hour lives in infinite peril, for in that hour he may die and pass beyond the realms of hope. Do not put this off. Do not wait another day. Do not wait another moment. Do not wait another hour. There's only one way to enter, and that way is by the blood of Christ. There's no other way. There's nothing that you'll ever do in this life that'll earn you a seat at the table, that'll earn you a trip through those gates. There's nothing you can do in this life that will ever earn you the right to look at the face of God other than the cross of his son. How desperate are we for it? We need it more than we need the air in our lungs, more than we need the blood that pumps through our veins. We need the cross of Christ. Do not wait another moment. Cry out to it. Go to him. Cling to him. For the rest of you who would say, oh, I've done that. Are your bags packed? Are you on the journey now? Or are you waiting? Someday you'll go. Someday, someday I'll get ready. The great theologian Jonathan Edwards writes it this way, and I love this. He says, our whole lives ought to be spent, our whole lives ought to be spent traveling this road. We ought to begin early. Did you begin early? Are you teaching your kids now to walk this journey with their Savior? This should be the first concern when a person becomes capable of acting. The first concern. When they first set out in the world, they should set out on this journey. He goes on later to say, A traveler is not want to rest in what he meets with, however comfortable and pleasing on the road. If he passes through pleasant places, flowery meadows, and shady groves, he does not take up his content in these things, but only takes a transient view of them as he goes along. 
He's not enticed by fine appearances to put off the thought of proceeding. No. But his journey's end is in his mind. If he meets comfortable accommodations at an inn, he entertains no thought of settling there. He considers that these things are not his own, that he is but a stranger. And when he has refreshed himself or tarried for a night, he is for going forward. And it is pleasant to him to think that so much of the way is gone. For those of you who are older in the room, for those of you who have lived to be 65, 75, maybe even 80. We just celebrated a couple uh, last week, Bert's birthday. Bert just turned 90. Man, does that fill your soul to know that so much of it's done? I'm so glad that those years are behind me. I'm, I'm so glad. I've only got a few years left, 10, 15 more, and I'm out, baby. Let's go. Does that satisfy you? You find joy in that? Or you're like, oh man, what am I, or does that bring stress and anxiety and fear and worry? For those of us who are not even halfway there, unless something crazy happens, for those of us who are not even halfway there, are we wearied by those days? Are we beginning to find comfort in the here and now, saying, man, I gotta acquire and find more things that are gonna supply comfort for me now because this is my home? Or if we said, no, 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 I'm not staying here. I'm not staying here. I'm staying there. And so I must press forward. Is the, is the end pressed into our minds? This is not our home. This is not our home. Let us live this life with our journey's end pressed firmly into our minds. Every day as we walk through teaching our children loving our spouses, engaging with our neighbors and our coworkers, with, their, with our journeys in pressed firmly into our minds. The things of this earth are not my own. I temporarily take care of them for a short season, but my journey's end is so much more valuable. So I must invest there and I must keep pressing on because that's where I'm going. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I pray that you would help us this morning here at Flourishing Grace. That the things of this earth would grow small and dim, trinkets, that they would be pressed down, that the riches and the wonders, that the things that we've begun to, to crave, say, man, if I could own that, if I could gain that, if I could have that job, if I could have that amount of money, I'd be satisfied. Might they be pressed small, compared to the satisfaction that we will have in seeing your face and stepping into this holy city with living water flowing through it, just abundance of soul-satisfying goodness everywhere we look, perfectly content. That is our journey's end. Might we know how to get there? Through the cross of cross alone. And might every day be spent walking with you to that end. Press it into our minds, press it into our souls, press it into our hearts. Help us to see you more clearly and to see our home, our eternal home, so that we might know that this, this is just a temporary shelter, a place where we will reside for a short period of time. We must keep moving on. Pray these things in your name, in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.